welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I am going to share something this morning by way of starting a new topic, a new subject called A Theology to Live By. A Theology to Live By. Theology is simply the study of God and the study of God's Word. And so we can look at a practical theology because what we don't want is theology that confuses people. We don't want more information for information's sake. We don't want more knowledge for knowledge's sake. And so we've entitled this a theology to live by that it can be practically outworked in our lives. For example, there are some that um, study end times theology. And that, that's fine in and of itself. But the study of end time theology is not to study the exact time nor the date when Jesus Christ returns. When you do that, you're going to get into trouble because Jesus Christ himself said, no one but the Father knows the time. And yet there are many people who have come and gone in trying to study, find out when he's coming back. And we have a group on the planet right now that believe that the end of the world is going to happen on the 21st of December. And they would have their reasons for coming up with that date. And I'm here to say that is not the kind of theology that we want to waste our time with. We want a theology that is practical, a theology that we can live by and that can affect our lives. And so if we understand that Jesus Christ is coming back, because that is good theology, Jesus Christ is coming back. But a practical theology would be that knowing He's going to come back, it's going to affect the way we live on earth here and now. And so, you know, what I want to know is knowing that Jesus Christ is coming back, what do I do with my here and now? And I want to live ready and prepared for him to come back at any moment, at any time. That is more useful to us as people than knowing a particular date that Jesus says no one will ever work out nor know but the Father himself. And so when we talk about a theology to live by, we want it to be practical and we want it to be outworked. We want it to be able to help you in your marriage. We want it to be able to help you in your singleness. We want it to be able to help you no matter what you are facing in your life at any one given time. Is that helpful? And so this is what this whole series is about. They're going to have five parts to it. And we're just going to look at different things that we believe would be really helpful for us as a church to embrace via practical theology. And my first part is simply this. We want to look at a theology of process. A theology of process. A theology of process. Because I am tired of people going to church and going to prayer meetings and having received prophetic words, all in which are great events, but it never seems to be fleshed out in our lives whereby we become any better at doing life. Because in Christianity, there's a massive problem with event-based Christianity. And we look for the next preacher. We look for the next prayer meeting. We look for the next great thing, the next prophetic word. It never ceases to amaze me that two people who feel the call of God can go to a conference and can receive a prophetic word from somebody. And one can go on into ministry and do great things for God. The other just sits back and waits for God to do the rest and ends up doing nothing with his life because he's waiting for the next prophetic word. He's waiting for the next great event, the next great moment. 
But for every great event and every great moment, you must couple a process with it. And so God has a great destiny for each and every one of us. But in between where we are now and our future destiny is a thing called process. And unless we embrace the process of God, we will never achieve the destiny that God has for us. It doesn't matter how many events you have. It doesn't matter how many times someone prophesies over you. It doesn't matter how many times someone rubs your head and says, Abracadabra, Alakazam. It doesn't matter. What matters is you putting into practice what you know you ought to. And that's a process. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And I want to read a parable to you. A parable is simply a story that Jesus told. Jesus was a great storyteller. He told many stories to highlight the power and the purpose of the kingdom of God. And this is one of those parables. In Matthew 25 verse 14, it's commonly known as the parable of the talents. And it says, again, it means the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and he entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. Woohoo! To the other, woohoo, added by me. Okay. To the other, two talents, and to the other, one talent, each according to his ability or capacity. Then he went on his journey, and the man who received the five talents, he went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five more. So also, the one with two talents, he gained two more. But the one who'd received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and, his ma- uh, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. The man who'd received five talents bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant, for you have been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also gained two more. Master, he said, Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then came the man who received the one talent. Master, he said, I knew that you was a hard man, harvesting where you had not gathered uh, and scattered seed. And so I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Each of them were given the same opportunity. And yet there were different responses. Isn't it amazing that two people can receive the same opportunity? Or the same event can happen to two people on the same day. Somebody can get retrenched on the same day as somebody else and get the same severance pay. And one adds a process to that event and takes that money and starts a business and works the business and becomes a multi-millionaire. The other takes that event and doesn't add a process to it and whinges and complains and turns to the drink and ultimately suicides. And yet the event was the same. Same day, same event, same payout, and yet two people 
go two different ways. One was able to add a process to their life. The other just waited for something else to happen, be it good or bad. And they live with a fatalistic worldview. And this is what we've got to stop in the church because it's rife in the church. We love event-based Christianity. We love the next greatest thing. We love the, the excitement of the next speaker or the next prophetic word, all of which are not bad. But unless we add a process in between all the events that come our way, we're never going to achieve what God has for us. And so I want to look at a few things around, revolving around process and process-based Christianity. The first thing is simply this process-based Christianity starts now. Everyone say now. now. You see, all these three people in the story that Jesus told received money. It was different amounts, but they all received money. It was a great event. If I started giving out money, that would be a great event. Regardless of whether someone got more than you or not, you would go away with more money. That would be a great event. And this was a great event. They all received money, but only two of them went to work. And the Bible says they went to work immediately. Right now. What you do now counts. I had a word for the young people on Thursday night as I was sharing with their leadership team. But I believe it's more than a word for just the young people and the leadership team. And so I want to share it this morning. I believe... God put on my heart to say this, that you've got to learn to do your now well. You've got to do your now well. Whatever you feel in God, whatever you feel for the future, whatever that may be, no matter how great it may be in your thinking, you've got to do whatever you're doing right now well. If you're at school, you've got to do school well now. If you're in university, do university well now. Paul was a man who wrote most of the New Testament and he was putting the church to death, which is not exactly God's will. But you know what? God looked down and thought, this is a guy that's doing something well. He's doing the wrong thing, but he's doing the wrong thing well. I can use him. And because Paul was doing the wrong thing well, God says, I can use him. And so instead of putting the church to death, he had a God encounter. He added a process to his life and became one of the greatest apostles that's ever walked the earth. Peter and James and John and Andrew were fishermen. They had their own business. And God's looking at these men and thinking, I can use them because they're doing what they're doing well now. What you do right now will set you up really well for the future or really poorly for the future. When I think back over my life, Knowing what I'm doing now and knowing what I was doing 20 years ago, it's amazing. Who knew that God was grooming me for ministry when I wasn't even interested in ministry? Who knew that God was grooming me for ministry when I had my own business as a sign writer? As a young 20-year-old, having just gone out on my own, having done my apprenticeship with my father for four years, go out on my own, at the age of 20, I start doing signs around Adelaide. My fingerprint was all over the city. And I used to, you know, just bore my friends driving around. I did that. I did that. I did that. I did that. See that sign? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know you did that. Yeah, I did that. What have you got to show for your life? I did something. My fingerprint was all over the place. But here's the thing. Whenever you do certain jobs for certain people and you're a young guy, older guys can try it on. Particularly people of certain ethnic groups. 
And so I would, I would be working and I did, lots of, I did lots of fish and chip shops. Let me just leave it at that. And when you, when you do some work for um, some fish and chip shop owners, they have brothers and cousins and aunties and uncles and, and, and you know, they all want you to do their fish and chip shop. And essentially I would do a job and I'd do a good job and I'd do it on time and I'd do exactly what they asked. But they were very reluctant to let go of their money. Certain people groups, that's, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> and as a young 20-year-old, I had to front up. Because you know, I thought when you do a good job, people just pay you, everyone's happy. No, 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 they try it on. And who knew that as I was finding the courage to go up to the counter and say, hey, is George there? Let's just use George as a make-believe name. <laughs> or Con, I'm just, whatever, just, let's just make up some names. Let's just make up some names, shall we? And I say, hey, hey, is George here? And, 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 and uh, you know, the wife behind the counter said, no, no, George is not here. And then in the background, I can hear George. I said, no, no, I can hear him. He's in the back. I said, get George out here. I, I need to speak to George. And if you don't get him out here, I'll go around and see him. And so they bring George out. And I say, George, I did your job. I did it on time. I, I, I did what you asked. Now you owe me some money. How much for cash? <laughs> How about the exact same amount I told you when I, before I did the job? That amount. No more, no less. And as a 20-year-old, I had to front up and get my money. Who knew that God was grooming me for ministry? <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? That God had a plan for me to stand up here and say, I need someone who can confront people on the area of paying up and giving money. I have a vision that's going to cost money and I need someone to be able to stand before people and say, hey, church, give us your money. (laughs) Who knew? Much better than Bible college. Who knew that I'd have to confront people as often as I have doing what I do? God didn't, he was preparing me. And because I did it well, I think I'd say, oh, I can use this guy. He's not afraid to ask for money. He's not afraid to confront. He's not afraid to stand up for what he believes in. He's prepared to go around the back counter and into the back kitchen. He's prepared to do that. And I would have. I would say, George, put your gun down and let's talk. (laughs) Who knew that God was preparing me for ministry? I didn't even want ministry back then. But God was, was setting me on a process. There was another occasion I did this fantastic job. Did I mention how good it was? It was fantastic. And it was down at, it was down at Henley Beach. And this guy had started a rock and roll cafe. And so I had this great idea to do all this artwork. And I worked on that place for two weeks, solid. And it looked amazing when I'd finished. I, I took all these photos. I thought, this, this, is, this is probably the greatest artwork Adelaide has ever seen. And my dad's done some great work. But I knew that my work was better than my dad's. I knew that. And so I was just... And I kept going back asking for my money. And then one day I went back there and he wasn't gone. It was all gone. All the, everything's gone. Except my painting's on the wall. And I, I couldn't take it off because it's on the wall. Short of me just chipping the paint off. And, and, I, and I, I, I didn't even know where he went. I didn't know anything about what I just lost out. Two weeks of solid work. Not a thank you, not a cent. And you know what it taught me? It taught me to give people my best. And receive their worst and deal with it. 
Who knew God was preparing me for ministry? Because that's happened a lot to me since I've been in ministry. It's part of the process. You give your best and you get people's worst. That's happened heaps in this church. (laughs) Seriously, serving Jesus, I have given and given and given my best to have people use it against me. But I learned something years ago that set me up well for what I'm doing today. Do your now well and it will serve you well into your future. Are you there? Can you hear me? Are you with me? You got it? So process-based Christianity starts, not, starts now, not when you're a pastor. Not when you're in full-time ministry. Not when Tony recognises you or Benno recognises you and you're finally playing in the music. It starts now. Starts right now. If you're learning the guitar, just keep practising. 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 Do your now well that when your moment comes, you're ready for it. Process-based Christianity starts now. Everyone say now. Say it now. Say it now. Now. Secondly, process-based Christianity takes time. The story Jesus told about these three men also involved a fourth character, the master. And having distributed the money according to the abilities, he said he left. And it says this, that the master took a long time to return. But only two of them used that time well. So this is what I've learned about myself and pretty much everyone in this room, that we hate to wait. We hate waiting. In actual fact, I think it's one of these signs of the age in which we live, that we hate to wait. We celebrate things that God is not interested in. We celebrate quick fix and instant. That's what we want, that's what we celebrate, that's what we worship. We worship the God of the quick fix. And unfortunately, there's a lot of pastors who promote a God of the quick fix, but you won't see the God of the quick fix in the Bible only. He can do some things in a moment, absolutely. But there's also a process of time, and he wants us to use that time well. We have a little tolerance for slow-moving Nature of process. This is what you need to understand about process-based Christianity. It is not glamorous and it is not sexy. We want glamorous and we want sexy. You think about it, if something's struggling to sell, we put a near-naked woman in front of it and we try to sell it because we want sexy, we want glamorous, we want, you know, all that. And God won't put the half-clad girl in the bikini In front of his word. See, we live in an age where sex sells, but God will have none of it. And so what I'm talking about today is not a glamorous message. It's not a sexy message. It's going to take time. Some of the things that you are waiting for, they're years away. It's going to take time. See, that's what we do with prophetic words. We say, you're going to be a great man. That's awesome. We think it means tomorrow. 
That's what Joseph did. Joseph had a dream. Joseph had this incredible dream where he saw members of his own family bowing down and worshipping. And he said, guys, had this great dream. You're going to love it. Guess what? They didn't. And he was shocked. Like, really? That doesn't, that doesn't turn you on? That doesn't make you happy? That you're going to bow down and worship me? That, that, that doesn't do it for you? And they're like, no, it doesn't. In actual fact, they so hated it, they tried to kill him. And Joseph's like, that's okay, because pretty soon they're going to be worshipping me anyway. So he's in this pit thinking, okay, this time tomorrow it's all going to be over. <laughs> tomorrow, Lord, still in the pit. And then they get him out of the pit. Ha ha, here's my moment. Only to be sold as a slave. What? Only to, only to, only to, only to for 22 years. 22 year process before the dream and the reality of it. And it's only because he responded well in that time. Could have been a lot longer if he didn't respond well. The Israelites walked around the desert for 40 years and didn't make it. They died. Because they didn't respond well to the process. They were happy to receive the supernatural events, manna from heaven, shoes not wearing out. Happy to receive the supernatural events, but don't ask me to do anything. Lord, as you've given us the food and as you've given us the sandals that don't wear out, why don't you just give me my destiny? Because that's attached to process, that's attached to time, that's attached to effort. It's time for us to admit we have a problem. We are addicted to quick fix solutions. And the world and the marketing agencies know this. That's why they say, if you eat this pill, you'll lose 20 kilos. And the only weight we'll lose is the money in our wallets. That's about all we're going to lose by taking those pills. Because those pills aren't going to work. We are addicted to celebrities. We are addicted to the spectacular. But godly men and godly women are those who have not allowed any event, get this, be it positive or negative, to dominate their spiritual development. They don't allow the prophecy or the lack of prophecy to dominate their spiritual development. If we get the prophecy, great. If we don't, great. I don't need a prophecy to grow. I've got the word of God. And so if I get a prophecy, fantastic. If I don't, fantastic. They don't allow any spiritual encounter to get in their way of their spiritual development. They don't involve any lapse of integrity to get in the way of their development. They don't allow any error in judgment to get in the way of their development. Because we realize that part of the process is making mistakes along the way. I knew that starting this church would not mean that I would not make mistakes. I make mistakes and I learn from it. It's part of the process. And when I have a great day, how I handle that moment is part of the process. So if I preach really well and everyone loves it, which would be a miracle, but if it ever happened, how I handle that moment is part of the process. Get big-headed, start thinking more highly of yourself, you mess the process up. And so godly men and godly women 
understand this and they don't allow any event, positive or negative, to dominate their spiritual development. They're not, you know, this notion that there should be more prophecy in the church, there should be more this in the church, there should be more that in the That's got nothing to do with your spiritual development. Maybe the lack of all those things is about you trying to grow without them. Maybe some of the loud music we may not like is about your development. God's putting on a process. And the process is about you enjoying others worshipping God, even though it's not your style. Maybe that's what part of the process is for you right now. Process-based Christianity understands that there are setbacks and they're just part of the process. And the result is we can bounce back bigger and better than ever before. I never forget a good friend of mine. He was in business. Now he's in full-time ministry. His name's Grant Ascom. And uh, he had a great um, business with Land Rover. Made a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And he was telling us a story about you know, how on a couple of occasions he went bankrupt. And I, I asked the question, I said, hey Grant, why is it that so many successful businessmen go bankrupt, bankrupt once or twice in their life prior to making it big? And without stopping to think about it, without hesitation whatsoever, he said, ah, that's easy, school fees. <laughs> he just put it down to school fees. I lost something, I learned something from it, I reworked it and I did it again, I lost something again, I reworked it, thought about it, did it again and made some money. That's just school fees, this is part of life. You can't expect to always win. It wasn't just what he said, it was how he said what he said. The absolute conviction, this is part of it. This is a great example of a process-based Christianity that we need to embrace. Thirdly, process-based Christianity involves hard work. Events don't. Process does. The greatest events will not change your life unless you are working on the process. Going back to the story Jesus told, they all received money. It was an amazing event, but only two men did something with it. Only two of them put it to work. The man with one talent never embraced the process of hard work. If you think about someone receiving a promotion, just for a moment, the promotion takes place in a moment, and it's a great event. It happened in a certain time, in a certain place, and involved a certain amount of money, pay rise. That's an event. That promotion is an event, a good event. But to get to that event, there was a process of years of hard work in order to be noticed by the boss to make that event happen. Is this making sense? So process-based Christianity involves hard work. A successful life is a process, not a single event. And a failed life is a process, not a single event. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, And all of us with unveiled faces... Because we, can, uh, because we continue to behold in the word of God as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are consistently being transfigured into his very own image in ever increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Our life is meant to grow with ever increasing glory as we embrace the process 
glory after glory after glory. There'll be setbacks in there, but we move forward little by little, slowly but surely, over time, with hard work. You see, we've all been given a gift. We all have. Just like these men were all given a certain something. But then they had to learn how to use it. You know, my daughter, our oldest daughter, she's 14. Imagine on her 16th birthday, her father just decides to act generously and give her a gift, a brand new car. It's a gift. But as good as that gift is, and it's an incredible event, an incredible moment, but as good as that gift is, that gift must be used, and more importantly, has to be learnt to be used. If my daughter does not learn to use this gift properly, it could be the very thing that kills her. So all of us that have done our gifts course and found out what our gift is, that's great. But what have you done to develop your gift? What have you done to grow yourself in order for that gift to not kill you? Do you know why there's so many pastors that are burnt out? Because they have a gift of caring for people. But they never learn how to use that gift properly. Because part of that gift is learning to say no. And a lot of pastors don't know how to say no, so they burn out. And the gift kills them. They never learn how to use their gift. How many young people are dying on the roads because they don't know how to use the gift properly? Or it could be that it doesn't kill her, but she just never uses it. And so Jordan's getting lifts for the next 25 years from all these people. And then one day she says, oh, I've, got, you know, I've got a car. I said, you? Really? Where? Yeah, it's in the garage. Jordan, I've known you for all this time. And you, I never knew you had a car because she never used it. Your gift involves hard work. And imagine if I went up to Jordan and said, Geordie, I believe in you. And I, and I prophesy in Jesus' name, you could become a great car driver. <laughs> and even if I put tongues on it, shakaramande, and someone interpreted, I agree with what he says, says the Lord. <laughs> and Geordie goes away, oh, that felt good because it was an event, it was a moment. Oh, I felt so good. I feel so good about myself. And still never uses a gift. And then the next prayer meeting, there's a word. I feel like there's somebody here who's been given a great gift in the form of, I don't know, an automobile. And the Spirit of God would say, get in and drive. She goes, oh, that's me. Yes, oh, that felt so good. Oh, that God still loves me and cares for me, that he'd, he'd be continuing to pursue me that way. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Lord. Oh, what a great prayer meeting. That's probably the greatest prayer meeting I've ever been to. Fantastic, amazing, awesome. And the next day, she doesn't do anything with it. The church is full of people that are being killed by their gift because they haven't learned to use it. Yeah. Or they're just not using it. Good. Because we are wicked and lazy servants. Because a process involves hard work. You can't live in a community this size without offending someone or being offended. And the process is confrontation. The process is saying sorry. The process is talking. The process is initiating. Event-based Christians say, no, we're Christians. That shouldn't happen. Because we went to a prayer meeting. And God said our future was going to be glorious. And it doesn't feel so glorious now. You wicked and lazy servant. Just go and talk. Go. I'm convinced 
When we go to God, when we should be talking to others, God's saying, what are you talking to me for? Because I believe in prayer. No, no, go. I'm serious. God's answer, what are you talking to me for? Sounds so spiritual. I've been praying to God. Stop praying. Just start doing what God said. Get involved in the process. But that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's terrifying. It is terrifying. Yeah, when I went to my ethnic friends who owed me money back in the day, it wasn't easy. It was hard. I feel like I was going to be sick. I, I rehearsed what I was going to say over my head thousands of times driving there. And then I went round the block for one more time. Just, <laughs> and, and, and I went in. It's Georgia! <clears throat> it's Georgia! It's Georgia! Hard. It's hard. It's hard. I've been doing this for years now and it's got easy for me. Because the hard work's paid off. I'll confront anybody on anything. But it wasn't always easy. So much of what you see me doing, I mean, preaching, speaking publicly. I was the shyest kid at church. It's a lot of hard work to be able to do what I do. Because I, I just did not speak publicly. Just didn't. Got a friend, Mr. Benison, on the front row here. His dad, forever grooming me, pushing me, forcing me into this thing called process. And back in the day, we used to have church where someone would give a message in tongues and someone would interpret it. And Paul was encouraging us to get involved in the process and, 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 and start growing. And so I thought, okay, I'm going I'm to go to church and, and I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to start in my mind interpreting what the possibilities of the interpretation of tongues could be. And so someone would say whatever in tongues and, and then I think, okay, this, if I had to interpret it right now, this is what I'd say. I'd just make a call. This is what, this is what I'm feeling. And then Paul and others would say the interpretation. I'd be a million miles off. I think, oh, what good is that? But anyway, I come back next week and say, this is what I believe it could be. And, and uh, someone else would interpret it. And I go up to Paul Sunday after Sunday and say, hey, Paul, uh, um, when, 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 you were, um, when you were giving that interpretation, I, I had this. And it's like, they're, they're two different things. What's going on? And he'd encourage me, hey, why don't you just, just relax, just relax, keep doing it. And I remember one Sunday, you know, I'm not saying anything. I'm just, this is under my breath. I'm not stupid. I'm, this is under my breath. And next week, I think, oh, this is what I feel. And, and Paul gives an interpretation. And I thought, wow, I'm not saying it's identical, but there's some similarities. I say, Paul, 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 this morning you said this, I felt this. He goes, yeah, you're growing. And I did that week after week after week until week after week after week, I started getting this interpretation that was somewhere in line with everyone else and what they were interpreting. I was building my confidence. I was building my courage. But then you still need one other thing, the strength to walk it out. So now I've been like, now, now like I'm, I'm getting it right in my head. Now God says, now the next test. You've got the interpretation test, tick. Now, now the next one is step out and speak. Oh my gosh. That took me about four weeks to build up. And I'll never forget the first time I ever interpreted a message in tongues publicly. I felt sick. All the blood left me. I mean, give me George in the fish and chip shop any day. And I shared what I shared. Paul comes up to me, gives me this, this fatherly look like I give Matt, which probably means you idiot, but I don't know. 
Not that it means that when I give it to you. <laughs> Gizzy said, that was great to hear from you this morning. I, I, he didn't say whether it was right, wrong. He just said, that was great to hear from you. <laughs> and I said, thanks, Paul, but I don't feel great. I feel sick. I said, it was either speak up or throw up. And it's made a decision, today I'm going to speak up. If you're in that place, I would encourage you, have a bucket and speak. <laughs> Seriously, we've got to start putting this into practice. Because where, where I'm talking about you going, you're going to feel sick. And so I said, walk, walk, bring a bucket to church tonight and just, just, hey, confront somebody, talk to somebody and say, hey, the other, <laughs> just need to pick something off my chest. <laughs> If we would do that, the place would smell, but we would grow. Do it. Otherwise, we're going to wait for the next event and the next prayer meeting for God to speak to that person about their bad attitude. How about you go tell them? How about you? Why not? We've got to get out of this event-based Christianity and embrace process-based Christianity. Which brings me to my last point, that process-based Christianity produces a fruitful life. Three characters in this story all received money, but only two went on to produce a fruitful life. Events produce an eventful life. But process produces a fruitful life. And God is not looking for an eventful life. Oh my gosh, some people, so many events. Oh, this and that. And it's, oh my gosh, so many things going on. But God's not after an eventful life. He's after a fruitful one. Events without process will never produce lasting change. Am I against events? Not at all. It's not either or, it's both and. It's events coupled with process. With further events coupled with further process. That will lead to a fruitful life. Event-based Christianity overestimates and underachieves. Event-based Christianity puts more emphasis on the next conference. It's amazing. We'll go around the world to a conference but we won't talk to the person sitting next to us who we've got a bad attitude toward. Because we think the conference is going to do it for us and the conference won't do anything that you're not prepared to do for yourself. The conference can give you a revelation of what you need to do, but if you don't do it, the conference won't help you. The prayer line won't help you. As a young man growing up in the church, I used to say, why do the same people go at the front every week and they never change? They put all this emphasis on the prayer changing and prayer can't change you. Prayer alone cannot and will not change you. Prophecy alone cannot and will not change you. We have to couple all of those events with a process. You don't need another prophetic word. You don't need another prayer line. You just need to put into practice what you already know. You need to put into practice what you've been putting off for years. 
We think the more dramatic the event, the better the result will be. You know, I've had a lot of God encounters in my life. I've had a lot of prophetic words. I've had a lot of spiritual moments that have really set me up for a win. So I'm not against any of those things. I thank God for every one of those moments in my life. But without a process, none of them will last. And none of them will produce fruit. I'm not against events, but without a process, it won't last. As our musicians come, I want to close with a scripture. And it's found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. And it's Jesus' response to the cities where he did, the, get this, the most miracles. Jesus did extraordinary, supernatural things while he was on planet Earth. There are incredible events that followed Jesus. But to two cities where the most miracles happened, this is what he had to say. Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed. Why? Because they did not repent. What does repent mean? Change. They would not change. And because they would not change, Jesus rebuked them. Because the miracles and those events and those moments were meant to lead to a process and it was a process that was going to bring about the change. The miracles themselves will never bring change. There was a man who was born blind. His name was Bartimaeus. He comes to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus goes up to him. says, what do you want me to do for you? The disciples are going, Jesus. He's obviously having a bad day. Jesus, the guy's blind. I think he wants you to heal him. Jesus isn't stupid. Jesus knows exactly the guy, what he's saying. What he's saying to this blind man is, do you really want to see? Because your whole life you've got money through begging because you're blind. The moment I open your eyes, you're not going to get any money now for begging. You're going to have to get a job. Everything's going to change if I open your eyes. What do you want me to do for you? Because there ain't much work out there for an ex-blind man. Arms for an ex-blind man. Arms for an ex-blind man. What do you mean ex-blind man? Ah, oh, some do-gooder named Jesus came and healed me. What do you want me to do for you? Do you really want to see? Which means you've got to get up, you've got to get a home, you've got to get a job, you've got to start helping out. Do you really want that? Because me healing you, this is what you, me healing you is the easy thing. You changing, that's, that's the hard bit. Do you really want that? Are you going to add a process to this event that's about to take place? Oh, of course it would be so grateful. Really? Really, Jesus rebuked the two cities where he did the most miracles because they refused to change. They just wanted another miracle, another blessing. Bless me, Lord. He did. Bless me again, Lord. He will. Bless me again, Lord. Shut up. <laughs> We've had great miracles happen in this church. I never forget Pete and I back in the early days. This is where we didn't even know what we were doing back then. We, we don't really know what we're doing now, but we really didn't know what we were doing back then. And this woman brought a baby to us, born blind. Imagine a mum, baby born blind. And we'd had just a, a good friend of ours, 
die. My first wedding and my first funeral had the same guy in it. Married a young couple in our church. I was, didn't know what I was doing, kind of got my way through this wedding. Seven months later, the guy that I married, he's now dead. Now I've got to do my first funeral. A week later, this woman comes to church with a baby that's been born blind. And I tell her this story. I said, look, I believe God heals, but you need to know something. I've just buried a good friend of mine. We prayed for him and he died. I told her I didn't know what I was doing. I don't think you should tell people that, but that's what I told her. I said, but I've counted a privilege and honour to pray with your child. Pete and I prayed for this little baby. Cut a long story short, it goes back to the doctor, the baby can see. Wow. God using two guys who don't know what they're doing, but just stupid enough to just have a go. You would think the story would go on. That this woman is now in the church and serving Jesus and giving a whole life, heart, mind, body and soul, wouldn't you? No. No. Without a process attached to your events, nothing's going to change. Today, this brilliant, brilliant, fantastic, awesome, crazy, good message that you're hearing will not change your life. Unless you add a process to it. It's not going to change you. We're about to partake in communion. This, this little cup with grape juice in it and this little piece of bread which represents the powerful blood of Jesus and the body, the broken body of Christ, which is power to you if you had a process. But it's just a ritual if you don't. And Jesus on the night he was betrayed said, when you partake in this cup and this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In other words, he's saying, do not eat and drink void of remembering me and what I said and my words and the process I've told you to get involved in. This is theology we can live by. This is theology that will change your life. It's just not sexy. It's just not glamorous. It's just not spectacular. Are you saying if my marriage isn't good, I might have to wait my whole life and live in this ungodly, un- this horrible marriage? Are you saying what you're saying? Could that be the process? It could be. Could be. Are you saying there's nothing spectacular? I don't know. I'm saying God will give you grace every day of your life if you look at Him. When Mitchie was born, we were told to abort. We said no. We got told off for that by the doctors because they picked up a problem with this kid. We've picked up a problem with this kid ever since. (laughs) But he's awesome. And when he was born, he was born without fingers on his left hand. And I want to tell you, God can heal that. I mean, God can grow fingers like that. That's the easy thing. But I've got God to say, can you father this kid? 
And can you help him to lift his eyes? And can you put a purpose and a destiny in him? Even if I don't bring about that incredible event. And so for that moment, I say, God, if you ever will, I'm ready to receive that miracle. But in the meantime, I'm going to start a process of being the best dad I can. And if and when anyone ever says anything or makes comment, as they did just on Saturday about his arm, I watch to see how he responds. It's a process. And God's healed other people that I've prayed for. That's God's prerogative. But what I do with my now, and right now I want to be the best dad I can, and I speak life, and I speak purpose, and I speak destiny. Because you don't need fingers to serve God. I know lots of Christians with fingers, toes, and everything. They're not doing anything. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.